Chapter sixteen of Aunt Jane's Nieces on Vacation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ellen Preckle. Aunt Jane's Nieces on Vacation by L. Frank Baum. Chapter sixteen Local Contribution. We hear considerable of the quote, conventional people unquote, of this world, but seldom meet with them for as soon as we begin to know a person we discover peculiarities that quite remove him from the ranks of the conventional if such ranks exist at all the remark of the old scotch divine to his good wife everybody's queer but thee and me nancy and sometimes i think thee a little queer sums up the human nature admirably we seldom recognize our own queerness but are prone to mark the erratic temperaments of others and this is rather more comfortable than to be annoyed by a consciousness of our personal deficits the inhabitants of a country town are so limited in their experiences that we generally find their personal characteristics very amusing no amount of scholastic learning could have rendered the millville people sophisticated for contact with the world and humanity is the only true educator but as a matter of fact there was little scholastic learning among them with one or two exceptions and the villagers as a rule were of limited intelligence every one was really a character and uncle john's nieces who all possessed a keen sense of humour enjoyed the oddities of the millvillites immensely a humorous situation occurred through a seemingly innocent editorial of beth on authorship in the course of her remarks she said a prominent author is stated to have accumulated a large fortune by writing short stories for the newspaper and magazines he is said to receive ten cents a word, and this unusual price is warranted by the eager demand for his stories, of which the reading public is very fond. However, the unknown author does not fare so badly. The sum of from thirty to fifty dollars, usually remitted for a short story, pays the beginner a better recompense, for the actual time he is engaged upon the work, than any other occupation he might undertake this was seriously considered the morning it appeared in the tribune by peggy mcnutt and skim clark as they sat in the sunshine on the former's little front porch peggy had read it aloud in his laborious halting way and skim listened with growing amazement thirty dollars he cried thirty to fifty for a short story great snakes peggy i'm going into it huh going into what asked peggy raising his eyes from the paper i can write a story declared skim confidently you can skim it's a cinch peggy mother keeps all the magazines and paper novels and we always reads em before we sells em i've read the gall darndest lot of truck you ever heard so i'm posted on stories in general i'll write one sell it to the millville tribune do you suppose they'll give me the thirty or the fifty peggy anywhere's between they says but one feller gets ten cents a word phew i know but he's a big one which i ain't just now i'll take even the thirty if i have to i would skim advised peggy nodding approval but make em put your photograph in the paper besides say it'll be a big thing for millville to turn out a author i didn't think it were in you skim why it hadn't struck me afore replied the youth modestly i've been hankerin to make money without knowing how to do it i tell you peggy it pays to read the newspapers this one's given me a hint how to carve out a future career and i'll write a story as'll make them girl editors set up and take notice make it something about injuns suggested peggy i ain't read an injun story for years oh they're out of fashion observed skim loftily what folks want now is a detective story feller sees a hole in a fence and says ha there's been a murder 
somebody asks him what makes him think so and the detective feller says taking out a magnifying glass that holes a bullet hole and the traces of blood round the edges shows the bullet went through a human body for it went through the fence then says someone where's the body that says the detective is what me must discover so the story goes on to show how the body were discovered and who did the murder in by jupe that's great cried peggy admiringly skim you're a wonder ma always said i was good for something but she couldn't tell what it's story writin declared peggy say skim i put you on to this deal don't i get a rake off of that fifty dollars not a cent said skim indignantly he didn't tell me to write a story i said myself as i could do it and i know where to use the money peggy every dollar of it whether it's thirty or fifty peggy sighed i wrote a poem once he said wonder if they'd pay for a poem what were it like asked skim curiously it went something this way said peggy i sigh ter fly up high in the sky but my wings is shy so i must cry good-bye ter flyin shoo said skim disdainfully that ain't no real poem peggy it makes rhyme don't it all but the last line maybe it does replied skim with assumption of superior wisdom but it don't mean nothing it would if i got paid for it observed peggy skim went home to his mother's tiny emporium took some note-paper out of stock opened a new bottle of ink and sat down at the sitting-room table to write his story the widow clark looked in and asked what he meant by squandering profits that way shut up mar give me elbow room said her dutiful son i'm writing a fifty-dollar story for the tribune fifty dollars thirty anyhow mebby fifty replied skim what's a good name for a detective mar the widow sat down and wiped her damp hands on her apron looking upon her hopeful with an expression of mingled awe and pride can you do it skim she asked softly i suppose i can turn out one a day by hard work he said confidently at thirty a day the lowest price it'd be a hundred and eighty a week seven hundred twenty a month over eight thousand dollars a year i got it all figured out it's lucky for me the nabobs is rich or they couldn't stand the strain now mar if you want to see your son a nabob hisself some day just think up a good name for a detective sure holmes locke she said after some reflection no this here story's got to be original i thought of calling him suspectin algernon detectives is always suspectin something algernine's high-toned mused the widow let it go at that skim all that day and far into the evening he sat at his task pausing now and then for inspiration but most of the time diligently pushing his pen over the strongly lined note-paper and hopelessly straying from the lines meantime mrs clark walked around on tiptoe so as not to disturb him and was reluctant even to call him to his meals in the kitchen when skim went to bed his story had got into an aggravating muddle but during the next forenoon he managed to bring it to a triumphant ending when i get used to the thing mar he said i can do one a day easy i had to be particular over this one it being the first the widow read the story carefully guessing at the words that were hopelessly indistinct my but it is a thriller skim she said with maternal enthusiasm but you don't say why he killed the girl that don't matter so long as he did it the spellin don't always seem quite right she added doubtfully i guess the spellin's as good as the readin'll be he retorted with evident irritation i bet i spell as well as any of the folks that take the paper and some words i can't make out oh the editor'll fix that say are you trying to queer my story mar do you set up to know more'n i do about story writin no she said i ain't talented skim and you be 
What I order have, he continued reflectively, is a typewriter. When I get two or three hundred ahead, perhaps I'll buy one second-hand. Can you buy one that'll spell, Skim? she asked, as she made a neat roll of the manuscript and tied a pink hair ribbon about it. Skim put on a collar and necktie and took his story across to the newspaper office. We got a contribution for the paper, he said to Patsy, who asked him his business. What, something original, Skim? she asked in surprise. You've hit it right, Miss Doyle. It's a story. Oh, a detective story. Dear me, then you'll have to see Mrs. Weldon, who's our literary editor. Louise, who was sitting close by, looked up and held out her hand for the beribboned roll. I don't just know, remarked Skim as he handed across the table, whether it's a thirty-dollar deal or a fifty. Having forgotten Beth's editorial, Louise did not understand this remark, but she calmly unrolled Skim's manuscript and glanced at the scrawling heading with an amused smile. Suspecting Algernon, she read aloud. It were a dark and tedious night and the early springtime, while the snow were falling soft over the moonlit landscape. Why, Skim, how came you to write this? It were the money, he said boldly. I can do one a day like this at thirty dollars apiece and never feel the wear and tear. Patsy giggled, but Louise stared with a wondering, puzzled expression at the crabbed writing, the misspelled words, and dreadful grammar. Indeed, she was a little embarrassed how to handle so delicate a situation. "'I'm afraid we cannot use your story, Mr. Clark,' she said gently, and remembering the formula that usually accompanied her own rejected manuscripts, she added, "'This doesn't necessarily imply a lack of merit in your contribution, but it is due to the fact that it is at present unavailable for our use.' Skim stared at her in utter dismay. "'You mean you won't take it?' he asked with trembling lips. We have so much material on hand just now that we cannot possibly purchase more, she said firmly. But feeling intensely sorry for the boy, it may be a good story. It's the best story I ever heard of, declared Skim. But we have no place for it in the Millville Tribune, she added, handing him back the roll. Skim was terribly disappointed. Never for a single moment had he expected such a throwdown as this. Seems to me like a bunco game, he muttered savagely. First you say in your blamed old paper a story's worth thirty to fifty dollars, and then when I bring you a story you won't pay a red cent for it. Stories, suggested Louise, are of various qualities depending on the experience and talent of the author. An excellent story is often refused, because the periodical to which it is offered is overstocked with similar material. Such conditions are often trying, Skim. I've had a good many manuscripts rejected myself. But the boy would not be conciliated. I'll send it to Muncie's, that's what I'll do, and then you'll be darn sorry, he said, almost ready to cry. Do, urged Louise sweetly, and if they print it, Mr. Clark, I'll agree to purchase your next story for fifty dollars. All right, the fifty's mine. I got witnesses, mind ya. And he flounced out of the room like an angry schoolboy. Oh, Louise, exclaimed Patsy reproachfully, why didn't you let me see the thing? It would have been better than a circus. Poor boy, said the literary editor with a sigh. I didn't want to humiliate him more than I could help. I wonder if he really will have the audacity to send it to Muncie's. And now the door opened to admit Peggy McNutt, who had been watching his chance to stump across to the printing office as soon as Skim left there. For Peggy had reasoned, not unjustly, that if Skim Clark could make a fortune as an author, he, Marshall McMahon McNutt, had a show to corral a few dollars in literature himself. After lying awake half the night thinking it over, he arose this morning with the firm intention of competing with Skim for the village laurels. He well knew he could not write a shuddery detective story such as Skim had outlined, but that early poem of his, which the boy had seemed to regard so disdainfully, 
was considered by Peggy a rather clever production. He repeated it over and over to himself, dwelling joyously on its perfect rhyme, until he was convinced it was a good poem, and that Skim had enviously slandered it. So he wrote it out in big letters on a sheet of fool's cap, and determined to offer it to them newspaper gals. "'I got a poem, Miss Patsy,' he said, with unusual diffidence, for he was by no means sure the gals would not agree with Skim's criticism. "'What, another contributor?' she exclaimed playfully. "'Has the whole town suddenly turned literary, Peggy?' "'No, just me and Skim. Skim says my poem's no good, but I sort of like it myself.' "'Let me see it,' said Patsy, ignoring this time the literary editor, who was glad to be relieved of the responsibility of disappointing another budding author. Peggy handed over the fool's cap, and Patsy eagerly read the poem. "'Listen, Louise, listen, Beth,' she called delightedly. "'Here's certainly a real poem, and on aviation, the latest fad. "'Sky High, by Marshall McMahon McNutt of Millville, dealer in real estate, spring chickens, etc.' One. I sigh, two fly, up high, in the sky. Two, but my, wings are shy, and so I cry, a sad goodbye, to flying. A chorus of hilarious laughter followed the reading, and then Patsy wiped her eyes and exclaimed, Peggy, you are not only a poet, but a humorist. This is one of the best short poems I have ever read. It's short because I run out of rhymes, admitted Peggy, but it's a gem, what there is of it. "'Don't, dear,' remonstrated Louise. "'Don't poke fun at the poor man.' "'Poke fun? Why, I'm going to print that poem in the Tribune, as sure as my name's Patricia Doyle. "'It's too good for oblivion.' "'I dunno,' remarked Peggy uncertainly, "'whether it's worth fifty dollars or about—' "'About forty-nine less,' said Patsy. "'A poem of that length brings about fifty cents in open market, but I'll be liberal. "'You shall have a whole dollar. And there it is, solid cash. Thank ye returned peggy pocketing the silver it ain't what i expected but but what sir but it's like finding it for i didn't expect nothin i wish i could do more of em at that same price but i did that poem when i was young and had more ambition i couldn't think of another like it to save my neck i'm glad of that peggy one of this kind is all a paper dare print we mustn't get too popular you know i suppose you'll print my name as the one what did it he inquired anxiously I shall print it just as it's written, advertisement and all. She did, and Peggy bought two extra copies at a cent apiece. He framed all three and hung one in his office, one in the sitting room, and a third in his bedroom, where he could see it first thing when he wakened each morning. His fellow villagers were very proud of him, in spite of the knocking of the clerks. Skim was deeply mortified that Peggy's bum poem had been accepted and his own masterly composition turned down cold. The widow backed her son and told all the neighbors that Peggy never had the brains to write that poem and the chances are he stole it from the Malvern Weekly Journal. Them gal editors wouldn't know, she added scornfully. They're as ignorant as Peggy is, mostly. A few days later, McNutt entered the printing office with an air of great importance. Goodness me, I hope you haven't done it again, Peggy, cried Patsy in alarm. No, I got fame enough. What I want is to have the word none of my business cards changed, said he. What'll it cost? "'What change do you wish made?' asked Patsy, examining the sample card. "'Instead of Marshall McMahon McNutt, dealer in real estate and spring chickens, "'I want to make it read, dealer in real estate, spring chickens, and poetry. "'What'll it cost, Miss Patsy?' "'Nothing,' she said, her eyes dancing. "'We'll do that job free of charge, Peggy.'" End of chapter 16 